0: Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Lauren Boyd is an attorney, entrepreneur, podcast host, speaker, And a mother to be who is dedicated to helping entrepreneurs gain confidence in their legal foundation. Before venturing out on her own, Lauren worked in in corporate law, negotiating more than $3 billion in international contracts. In 2018, Lauren started and scaled her own six figure boutique law firm, Guide My Business. Lauren is driven by her passion for helping entrepreneurs own their brand and their day. So we're super excited to have Lauren here today on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Welcome,
1: Lauren. I am so excited to join you this morning.
0: Great. We have a lot to talk about because I, I really, I, I love your business model and I want to get into all of that. But before we go there, let everybody get to know a little bit about how you got here, right? So you could tell us, did you always want to be an attorney? Was this the kind of something you knew as a kid? This is what you wanted, Uh, to be or where you went like some other folks and you just sort of like wandered into this path later in life?
1: I think I'm like some other people where I did not know that I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, Instead, I actually was in undergrad pursuing dual degrees in finance and entrepreneurship. Um, And it wasn't until my senior year. um, So nothing like a late decision, but my senior year of college where um, we had mock legal counsel from 30 year law students in our entrepreneurship program. We had these venture ideas that we were launching with a team um, and going through kind of the whole, the whole process of understanding what it would look like to launch a business, right? A business plan, get in front of investors and pitch. Um, it was a really great experience, but most of all, because it actually led me to kind of find my passion or how you know a business attorney could support a business. I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, so I think I always knew I would have my own business. I just never dreamed it would actually be a law firm.
0: Wow. Wow. That's wonderful. It's interesting. You you say that you got a dual undergrad degrees, one in finance and one in entrepreneurship. And I think that's so fantastic that they now have degrees in entrepreneurship. It was not a thing yes. when I was going to college, and I'm so jelly. Every time I hear somebody say that, and I'm like, oh my, man, I wish I had that. How awesome. Because you probably learned so much that helped you prevent making some of the mistakes that others of us had to make along the way because we're trying to figure it out on our own. That you said that that was really something that led you to law school and becoming attorney. Tell me kind of what your thought was around that. I mean, you, you had some exposure to business attorneys or you know, did you, did you have other people in your family who influenced that or was this something that you just learned and going through school that it looked like kind of a fun thing to do?
1: You know, I, it, my parents were both entrepreneurs. They owned their own business my entire life and I'd seen them work with attorneys over the years, you know, for their needs here and there as, as advisors, trusted advisors. So I kind mm-hmm. of knew a little bit of what that relationship looked like, but when I was actually so senior, I, I'm like surprised that this is, this is how I did it, but I I think we used to function on less sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, I had dual degrees. I was preparing for the LSAT and I decided to, you know, go intern at a friend's uncle's law firm where I was going to school. He happened to have, you know, an uncle and aunt who were lawyers and they actually did. You know, nothing that touched the the business world. They did um, construction defect, personal injury, but it was really nice because they had a very small firm. It was three lawyers. They had a paralegal. Um, It was a really good experience to kind of see what it would look like to be in a firm, whether or not it was the right, you know, area of law, you know, didn't really matter to me. It was really nice just to see like what it could look like. And so I actually interned there while I was prepping to take the LSAT and submitted my kind of my app, my application for early admission and was like, you know, I'm going to take a year off because no way I'm going to get in. I just barely decided to do this and I'll take a little bit more time, you know, and, and maybe kind of, you know, go back up to Phoenix and, you know, intern someplace else. But I got in, and I said, "Well, I guess I'm guess I'm gonna go to law school and see how this looks." And then I was just, you know, during law school, I was really intentional to take the business classes, mediation, contract drafting, negotiation, anything I could take that touched the realm of business is where I was at. And then to make it a full circle moment, when I was a third-year law student. I was in the entrepreneurship program, supporting the entrepreneurship students next door at the business college.
0: Wonderful, that's wonderful. So you really, you really dove into it from a business perspective right at the beginning. I know a lot of people go go to law school and they they aren't really sure where that's going to lead them as far as a career as an attorney. And sometimes we wind up in places we never expected we would be. But um since you have this background and kind of in business, you know, in entrepreneurship, you you went with that intention. And it sounds like it's really worked out well for you. Now, when you got out though, you didn't start your firm right away. Did you? No. You worked for okay. So tell me about that journey. What did you what did you do? Where'd you go?
1: Gosh, I can't imagine starting a firm. If anyone who start started a firm right out of law school, kudos to I was, you. I was one of those. <laughs> I was one oh of those my people. Gosh. <laughs> You did. Oh yeah. my! like, that, that is to me, that's so impressive.
0: I needed the that's
1: opportunity, attractive. of course. It's really weird. <laughs> so <if> you <laughs> well, you know my
0: what? Office, I mean, it would not very impressive. But, but yes, it <laughs> is. It, it is. It is. I'm not sure if it was a terribly wise decision. And I wouldn't advise people for me. I was in my 40s when I did that. I'd already had a previous career. So I had some business experience, you
1: know. Yeah. (laughs) And then the the know-how, because it does take a lot, I think, you know, to start, to start a firm. So for me, you know, I actually, I was very, I was very headstrong in kind of, you know, making sure I continued to make decisions that would lead me kind of towards the path of business. And so instead of, you know, going the clerkship route or, you know, the more traditional applying to law firms, I actually found myself an internship going into my third year of law school, um, working for a Fortune 100 company in-house. And so I was supporting kind of their, their general counsel staff, and I found it really interesting. And I actually stayed on there while I when I graduated from law school, and I worked there for several years. And that's where I negotiated these large contracts. They were all commercial contracts. Um, you know, for this global corporation. And so I got to work internationally. I got to travel for work. I got to negotiate, you know, many of our contracts would be 500 million plus contracts. And I would be the lawyer representing this, this Fortune 100 company. It was really trial by fire, but it was a wonderful experience because it was, you know, not only in drafting and the complexity of drafting such, you know, large contracts, and they were long-term contracts, usually 10 plus years. So you knew what you were preparing was going to have long-term effects. But um, also, the being in a room and learning how to negotiate real-time across the table, oftentimes from people who, they had children my age. Um, right. And so to learn that dynamic and to really be able to not only you know prepare the language, but to back it up. You know when challenged by you know the other side and build a relationship with them, but also draw you know a certain be able to draw a certain line and a level of respect in the room as well, so that you know we were being collaborative and it wasn't mm-hmm. that I was only just you know compromising because you know I was the youngest person in the room, I was often the only female in the room. it was you know honestly just a, a priceless experience. And right. after a few years of that i i you know I looked you know kind of at the the department that I was in, and even though it was actually a very strong female department, I really you know felt like I had really great mentors there. I didn't want anybody else's job like I didn't want to grow into you know another position there, and I had this little calling you know on my heart and I. Sitting at dinner across from my now husband, then boyfriend, and I said, "I think I want to quit my job, and I know I could go work in house because I, you know, I knew that we were kind of I was competitively placed by you know having worked working there. A lot of people had left and gone to in house positions, you know, elsewhere here in the Phoenix area. So I said, I know I could go someplace else if I had to, but I think I want to quit my job and try and start my own law firm." So I like to tease, he said yes to my crazy idea. So I obviously married him (laughs) because he was (laughs) supportive. Very wise. (laughs) I know he was, you know, and he grew up in an entrepreneurial home too. And I had kind of shared with him for me, it was about building, you know, this work-life balance. It was about building a life. And, you know, he was very supportive of that. So I actually owned my own home at the time. He moved in to help me pay the mortgage and kind of support my wild dream. And that was now three years ago. And, um, you know, now we have, you know, attorneys on our staff and it's just, it feel, I feel like it's a mix between, it looks like it feels like 10 years, but it also went by in the blink of an eye.
0: Right, right. There, there's so many questions I have that spawn from all of that. So I'm going to go back just a little bit, and I want to ask you: When you were working in that environment, I can imagine even even someone who's an experienced attorney would probably feel intimidated and anxious, you know, about being in a room full of successful CEOs and negotiating these these long-term contracts worth millions of dollars. Can you? Do you? I mean, what was that experience like for you? You touched on it a little bit, but did you have any experiences with people with uh, older people, uh, men, women, whoever, who reacted to you differently because of your age and your, you know, being a baby lawyer or any of those things? And how did you cope with that? Like, did you find other mentors to help you sort of get through that, or? You know, did you are you just co confident innately or, or what? Is there anything in particular you remember?
1: You know, I, I do think I happen to have a little bit of a level of kind of innate confidence and kind of this this ability to just say, Well, you know, I just I'm gonna just prove myself. Luckily I feel like the a, a lot of the rooms that I would negotiate in, it they would we get to know each other. So Mm -hmm. we started to kind of build this relationship. And so when I, you know, I feel like I would, you know, I'd show up my best every time, then they started, there started to be a level of like, well, you know, she actually, she actually does a pretty good job at this. You know, so there was, I I did have to, you know, kind of, I feel like work a little bit harder to gain the respect. There was Mm -hmm. a few rooms that, you know, if I'm being honest, you know i had you know there was one particular deal where it was the, kind of the largest one that you know i had led it was you know kind of a, a big contract for the company and i had to bring in you know one of our ip general counsel um specifically to kind of work through a few issues mm-hmm. and she was a female and she joined the call with you know the opposing counsel and i remember a, after we got off the call she goes well, he really doesn't like women, does he?
0: Oh, wow. wow.
1: And she was such a strong woman. She had been at this for years. She was, you know, head general counsel, you know, one of our VPs who had joined this call. And for her to say, acknowledge kind of that, that feeling with someone that I negotiated actually with for years and mostly on my own, um, it was kind of good validation that that was, a unique experience um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, and I found that to be true. There was other, you know, clients that I, I worked on other, you know, customers of ours negotiating deals. And it was that relationship with that customer was, you know, I always felt that way. But sometimes you almost wonder if you're, you know, you're being a little too sensitive or you don't want to make up a story that, that goes kind of that direction. And it was really good confirmation that I wasn't the only one that felt that way. Yeah, it's one. I rooms. think it's so.
0: Yeah, it's so important for for others who are to to validate for others who are experienced around you to validate
1: that that's what's yeah. really going
0: on. Because sometimes absolutely. it can feel very isolating, you know, if you're the if you're the only one who's you know that you're sitting here going, okay, I'm the only one who's dealing this. Maybe it's a me thing, right? And right. something validated, It's not a you thing, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. that way. yeah. So. Let's move on to the, the wonderfulness of starting your own law firm. So you knew you wanted to be a business lawyer right out, right out of the gate because you prepared for that, right? Right. What, tell me about your business model and what you think makes it kind of unique.
1: So actually what I, what I like about having your own firm is I feel like you get this level of, you know, permission to kind of evolve. So when we started, you know, I didn't have much time. It wasn't like I had this side hustle that I, I, I really literally circled a date on the calendar when my 401k had fully vested at the company that I was at. And that was the, you know, within a few days of that is when I actually, you know, put in my notice. And when I completed, you know, my two weeks and, you know, kind of opened my computer the following Monday, I was like all right, how do people start law firms? And I started the work at, you know, what would it look like? So I started looking at other people's business models. You know, they started to see, you know, I wanted to kind of break the mold. I knew that I had to gain trust and I needed to kind of, you know, grow roots in this entrepreneurship community here in Phoenix. And I'm very lucky because I actually do believe here in Arizona, we do have a very strong entrepreneurial community. And especially for women, there's a, a, a large presence of female entrepreneurs here. And right. so I started looking at what would be approachable, what would make legal services approachable to this particular group. Now, I will say like, I don't obviously only, we don't only have female you know, clients, but that was a large base of, you know, kind of where I felt comfortable starting because I felt like I could go network inside those groups. So I actually looked to other people's models and I saw a lot of flat rate. So I actually gave flat rate a try, you know, predominantly kind of, you know, contract drafting and, you know, a few items. And I saw pretty quickly that that alone wasn't going to serve the clients that I was actually getting, that they mm-hmm. needed more support. They needed customizable support You know, it didn't always look like a transaction. I don't want it to look like a transactional experience in flat rate. That just happened to not be my particular client base. And so I, I started to shift over time. And so, you know, wanting, you know, being kind of a new firm, I wanted this, I wanted some reoccurring revenue. I wanted that kind of safety net to scale my firm, knowing what money might come in each you know each week each month and so I kind of built out a membership and I've always been very specific when I built out when I built out anything that it always looked back to protecting my time and honoring my time so nothing was ever unlimited you know it wasn't like unlimited emails but I actually you know track my time and they got us you know two hours of my time each month at a little bit of a discount and then they would pay my hourly rate for anything over that And it Mm -hmm. got a lot of people in the door. It allowed me to build trust with, you know, a base of people here in the valley. And many of those clients are still with us today. We no longer do memberships. Instead, we just focus on hourly work and, and we do do flat rates for our trademarks because those are so process oriented. But what we found is when it came to contract drafting or, you know, some of the more complex issues that we deal with. There wasn't a one size fits all price. Some people needed a few quick revisions. Some people needed extensive, you know, changes or a full new contract. Some people have tons of questions and have very specific asks. And others, you know, are, you know, a little bit more, you know, I'll call it boilerplate. And so there was no like one size fits all. And we started to just slowly as a firm evolve. The way that, you know, and, and I'm saying we, we, it's a we now, but before it was just me, I started to slowly evolve, you know, how we were billing our clients and focus on at all times, what would help me establish a relationship with them. So I felt like the I, membership encouraged them to talk with me, which was, you know, I really enjoyed much more than the flat rate, which felt more transactional. And then moving fully, almost fully into hourly like I said, with the exception of trademark services, it all felt felt very relationship based. So I've I've really geared my firm, our our client journey, every touch point around building a relationship with our clients. And I think that paid off, you know, in the long run with right. really strong referrals, very aligned referrals, because people know our firm, they know how we operate. And I think that they, you know, the people that are led to us tend to be the right fit.
0: Right, right. You know, several things I love about your story. One is that you just started, like you started with an idea, and you said, "Let's let's start, let's put it out there, and see what happens." And then you let your you've let your business grow organically. You went where it led you, right? So some people fight against that. They have a vision in their mind, and they say, "This is what you know." This is what I want to do. And this is the thing, right? And other people are more open to sort of see what are the the prospective clients telling me that they need? And it varies. Um, And one of the things that's actually come up lately, and a lot I've been reading about the great resignation where people are quitting, leaving, and getting jobs Mm -hmm. at other places, is that what employers are starting to do or need to start to do is tailor the experience of the employees to their particular needs in very much in the same way you've described and doing with your clients, you let your clients tell you, you know, I have a need for a greater, you know, relationship, something where it's an ongoing thing where you're available to help me do things. And you, you grew your business that way around relationships. And it's interesting because we're seeing that a lot happening now with teams when we start to develop Mm -hmm. our teams there is no cookie cutter one size fits all. And so you have a variety of ways that people can work with you. You don't make it difficult for people to work with you by saying, this is the only way I do a thing, right? Right, Um,
1: absolutely.
0: Have you found, I mean, have you found that to be that, that that is something that's really helped you scale?
1: I think so. I think, you know, knowing, giving ourselves permission to know that our firms are going to change and evolve over time is, crucial to really building a successful firm and one built that, you know, your clients kind of feel a part of. So I had actually no intention of, you know, launching trademark services in our firm when I first started. It was not an area that, you know, I felt particularly comfortable in when I started, but it was an area that I soon learned, like I would have clients that I'd would, would say, great, and I think you need to go to a trademark and, you know, I, you know, you need to apply for a trademark here's, a you know, here's two really great attorneys that I've I've met with, that I've really enjoyed. Um, and I think that they're incredible at their skill. I'd love, you know, to have you go and work with them to trademark. And they would go and they'd have a consultation. And, you know, of course, I'm not in the room, but they'd come back to me and go, are you sure you just can't do it for us? Like, I'd rather you just do it for us. Because, yeah. maybe it's, you know, it was the element of they were working on other things with us. So they felt like, you know, they wanted kind of that full service piece. You know, I think often attorneys can get caught. It's very easy to go, well, if you don't do this, then, you know, it's, it's very consequence fear-based and we've never operated our firm that way. So I, I'm not exactly sure what the reason is, but I had so many people come back and go, yeah, but can I work with you instead? And so, you know, I had to, you know, I had to take classes. I need, I had to actually... That was the motivation to hire. I hired somebody that had expertise in that area and you know, we built that out under the in the firm that we could provide trademark services. I personally dove into it to learn the air, the practice area because that was something that was asked by our our clients. And right. I would have never I would have never gone that direction. I didn't know that that's something that they needed until they kept asking and that has now grown to be one of our, you know, largest, you know, practice areas. And honestly, one that I most enjoy as well.
0: Well, and I love how you, your immediate solution wasn't, uh, you know, I've got to run out and be the one to provide all the things to all the clients. But instead you said, how can, who, who can I hire? Who can help me do this instead of how do we do this? Right. You're like, your thought was to hire someone. I think that's so key in scaling a law firm is to is to not fall into that trap of okay my clients are asking for this so I guess I need to go learn this whole other practice area and be proficient in all the things you know the quickest way to get there is hire someone who already does it and then you can learn if you're inspired and interested and all of that you can learn um, as you go along but it takes the pressure off did you find that was the case with when you hired yeah
1: absolutely and and I really feel like it's It's so much about what you speak about on this podcast about, you know, letting us, you know, really design a business that supports our life. And Mm -hmm. so for me, that was really how I felt that, you know, if the reason I started this firm was in order to find balance in my life, I needed eventually, you know, there was a part of me that, you know, that had that tug of war between, well, if you start to hire and you become a leader, you're, you know... Is it, you know, how is that going to look? How is that going to impact your every day? And the more I started to, you know, look into it, the more I felt like that was the right decision to keep that balance that I was, I was looking for by hiring the right person that, you know, if I could empower them, they could empower our clients and that in turn would actually allow us to scale the firm, would allow me to work less, allow the business to be more profitable, but... One thing that I've actually been very specific on is we're not open on Fridays. We are not the firm that checks emails all weekend. And we know that. And we are up front with our clients from the very beginning. And those boundaries were so scary to to really <laughs> right. launch when we started because you want to be like a yes, yes, that's what oh, we'll do that. Sure, of course. But I actually found that being really specific with our boundaries and not working on Fridays, not emailing past office hours, actually gave a lot of our clients, because they're entrepreneurs as well, permission. And they would come to us and they would say, I love how you have a no texting policy. How can I do one of those? Right. Um, and it was a big permission piece. But then also from the you know, company culture standpoint, I now have attorneys and we specifically hire part-time attorneys to, you know, really help kind of bridge that gap that I feel like is still so present in the traditional like legal industry where you almost, you're you're almost forced to choose. You're forced to choose between being present with your family and, or having a career. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to create an atmosphere where they could do both where they could work twenty hours a week in our firm four days a week, support our clients, show up for work, do their craft, but then also unplug and be present with their family. And it's been such a rewarding experience to work on building out a team with this vision in mind and mm-hmm. and allow and, and really having them see that it's possible. I've had people when every time we've we've opened up applications and we're we're looking now So anyone in the kind of Southwest area, anytime we've opened up applications, I've had people apply that said, I didn't know this type of position was possible. Uh And, you know, I think it's just not, it's not done enough. It's not spoken about enough. And so for me, it's it's really nice to know that there's more of a legacy piece there. That, you know, it's not only about the legacy that we're, you know, helping build with our clients as, you know, they build these incredible businesses. But also, you know, the impact we can have on our team is something that I, you know, I don't want to take for granted. I want to create a culture where they feel supported and that it makes, you know, something in their life, you know, easier, something, you know, that balance possible in a way that they didn't know that they they could have.
0: Right, right. How did you, I want to get very specific and dialed in on that because I think a lot of people, uh, so I advise all of my clients, all of my women law firm owner clients to create a communication policy. And I, and I discussed the critical importance of establishing the ground rules for your relationships with your clients right from the beginning so that everybody's clear on it. And I think where a lot of people wind up getting into bad situations with clients is because they are too vague, not clear to set expectations right in the beginning. And so I imagine with your clients, there's some method that you use to set some communication policy, some term in your contract that you go over with them that specifically says, this is how we're going to communicate. Here are the expectations. Here's when the office is open for business. Here's when it's closed. And if you email, don't expect a response or what mechanism do you use to to do that so that you're very clear. And have you had, pushback from clients? Have you had any client along the way that has, you know, gotten upset because they emailed you on a Friday or a weekend or tried to call the office and haven't gotten anybody? And how did you handle that?
1: So all the things is the way that we approach, you know, communicating our communication policy because, you know, I want to make sure that not only is it in our contract, you know, our office hours that we communicate with clients via email or, scheduled phone calls for any calls that aren't scheduled. It's just purely subject to our availability and we'll call them back as soon as possible. We actually use an online calendar to have clients schedule their calls. They can log into a client portal that we have and schedule their calls. So it makes it really easy and kind of on demand for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it kind of prevents, and it, and I thought at first I was a little nervous to do that. I was like, does that make us look like we're not accessible? If there's an emergency I have, I have no doubt they have our phone number. They will call us right. if they need to. And if we're available, we will answer. You know, And even on a Saturday, I've had some client emergencies pop up. They're few and far between because I, I really do think that they respect our boundaries. And so we found clients that are aligned with that. And I've just recognized that we can't be everybody's ideal firm. And we want to find people that that, that resonates with. So we actually start our communication policy from the moment we have we have a very built-out kind of workflowed customer journey to get make sure I I really love a workflow, scanned emails, because it makes sure that the best information gets to every client every time. So when they're starting with us, they get an a an email that says, you know, what our communication policy is, even before they click to view their engagement letter. Because I want to make sure that they're seeing it in multiple places in multiple ways, that they can start to kind of, you know, they become familiar with the policies that are important to us. And then, you know, we make things available to them. Like, you know, when we make the client portal available to them, we said, hey, like, this is where you can schedule phone calls. And we we start to kind of remind them of all of these tools that we've made kind of self-help for them to communicate with us. And then mm-hmm. I think most importantly, you know, the texting thing, I didn't think I would ever have to say, but I started to realize when they get comfortable with you and it's so easy, they pull out their phones and they want to text you. I'm personally a terrible texter. Second, off, <laughs> you can't, you can't forward it. You, you know, can't save it. It's, it's really awkward, I think, to have text communications with clients. So we have, you know, I have a shorthand in my phone that if I type in in a text, it'll populate a message that thanks them for reaching out, but asks them, you know, to send it to my email because that allows our team to better serve them. And, right. you know, I, and I just found that finding tools, you know, so not only setting the expectation early and often. But then finding tools to enforce those boundaries, enforce those communication standards, and making it easy to use those tools, easier than breaking the boundary, right? If it was, sometimes right. when you look at that message, and you're like, it would just be easier for me to text them back. But if I make it easier for myself to keep the boundary solid, then they're more likely to conform. You you ask about, you know, and I have clients of all types, all industries, all ages all experience and everyone truly has been so respectful because i think that they what they want out of their business is is boundaries is respect they want to infuse some of those elements into their own business so they've been very respectful but i did have a consultation when i was very early in my firm and i think at the time i was still working on fridays and he said well what if i email you on sunday will I get a response? And I said, and I thought about it, you know, I'm like, I'm like, well, this would be a really great client. And I said, no, actually, you know, I'm, you know, we're very strong and, you know, I'm very strong in my office hours, you know, Monday, you, you can expect a response Monday through Friday and he didn't ever become a client, but he actually has referred many clients to us. So I'm not sure if he didn't become a client because he was launching a business venture. I'm not sure what happened with the business venture. To be quite honest, you know, I hope it launched and was very successful and he found support that he needed. But he actually, you know, it didn't. It didn't keep him from referring people to our firm that you know did in fact become clients. And so I think it's just you know willing to do the uncomfortable thing and kind of stand up for those boundaries because. You know, you may only have to stand up for them a few times. And I've definitely had I, clients since then that like to text me and they're a really good client, and you're like, oh, should I just text them back? But I found that, again, using that shorthand message, enforcing the boundary has always worked. And you know what? I I feel like they truly respect it. And now moving into this, you know, stage where I'm about to go and step back a little bit from maternity leave. Of course, it looks a little different when you have your own firm. You still want to be present and, and empower right. your team. You know, it's going to look a little different for a period of time. But, you know, I am going to be stepping back. And I feel really comfortable doing so because during that time, I'm not taking on new clients. My firm will. My 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 right. associates will. But I actually feel really comfortable because my existing clients who can be supported by, you know, the attorneys on our staff, they, you know... They know that I'm going to be taking a step back and I can trust that if if it looks a little different for them for a short period of time, that they're going to be okay, that they're not the type of client that are going to be upset that I'm having a baby. They're actually, you know, a lot of them, we have such strong relationships with them that they are so excited for us to have the baby. I have a client that we talk to on almost a daily basis that are like, so when are you going to bring her into the office? We can't wait to meet her. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's knowing that those relationships are out there if you're willing to kind of stand up for your vision of your firm. And I think, you know, those relationships will come.
0: Right, right. Uh, we we don't have a lot of time left, but I do. This makes me think of another question that I want to get into with you. And that is that had, did you ever have a struggle with shifting clients from working with you to working with your firm because I find that uh it is one of the things that comes up a lot for women law firm owners when they start out you start out as a solo and you build your business based on your personality and uh you make all these contacts and then you start adding to your team to grow the business and you and then people come in and say well I want you know I'm hiring you you know not this associate that you've given to me so how have you bridged that gap for your clients and helped them transition, or was that ever an issue for you?
1: You know, I I really kind of took the approach that if they trust me, they should trust the people that I would be willing to bring onto our team. Oh, I love um, that. So I focused. You know, there was of course, you know, continuity of care. So when I didn't just throw someone on and jump off of, you know, jump off all emails or communications. When someone new would transition onto a client's, you know, matter or supporting their business, because we have a lot of clients that we talk to quite often, I was still on copy. You know, I, they they had the comfort of seeing that I was on copy, that I knew what was going on, and I think that gave them peace of mind as they started to build a relationship with our associate. And you know, I just had to trust that, you know, if they trusted me. They would trust my associates. So I didn't actually have any pushback. I will say, you know, it's it's a learning curve, but I think being on copy and really being, you know, understanding what's going on. And even if you don't have to read everything substantively, you know, kind of having that like omnipresence a little bit makes the attorney more comfortable when they're starting, because you know, they're jumping into this and it also makes the client more, you know, a, a little bit um, more, more comfortable as well. And you know, I'll be honest. I've had to you know terminate and you know an associate on our team. And having been on her communications, it did make it a lot easier because I kind of could go back through, and I had my own record. Of course, I had her records, you know, that I could go through. But I was kind of aware of what was going on, so it made it so much easier to take that back on to delegate it out because I knew where we were. And my client didn't feel as though they were ever kind of left behind, um, and so I would slowly start to redelegate. and And I think that was important is being present, but also just you know trusting, you know, showing that you trust this new person, and and just allowing them to build their own relationship.
0: Right. I find that one thing that is a very one very small tweak that can really help is to shifting from me and I, to we, we and the team, you know, as you're, as you're starting in those initial consults with people just making that shift so that people understand that you function as a team, because we first started as hellos, it's a lot of, you know, I'll get that for you by, for, you know, by Thursday or whatever, um, but just making that shift in your language. And it's a little hard to do at first when you're so used to saying me and I, but once you kind of master that, then then you're starting to really make that and you're separating there's a you, and then there's your law firm, which is a whole separate thing, right? And your yeah.
1: law firm is, is separate
0: from you, right?
1: I agree. That's completely. We had to look. You know, we had to build out our team on our website. We had to change the language. I went through every canned email. We changed the nature of the way we spoke about it. And then, like you said, it it comes from you too. So you caught me in the interview. Sometimes when I was still a solo, when I'm referring back to it, I'm still using we. Because I've gotten so comfortable, you know, talking about this team that's there to support them, and you know, for anyone who's going, taking a transition from a solo to having a firm and having other people there to support their clients, know that there's more people to support them. That they actually believe they feel more comfortable knowing that there is there's more people to support them, and just leaning into that.
0: I agree. I agree. And so because then, you know, they don't have to worry about if you get sick, my stuff's not going to get done kind of thing, you know, because there's right, a team. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So I do want to talk about something really fun and not business related, uh, before we wrap up here. And that's that you bought your, in 2017, you bought your first retro 1950s home. So tell me about, are you still living in that home or have you bought others?
1: No, we we moved this year out of that home and it was the cutest thing. I actually, I mean, completely renovated it, Um, you know, picked out every, I mean, literally and I was on such a budget, I picked out every tile for the shower because it was a lot cheaper to buy the cheaper tile if you pick them all out. I mean, like literally poured my heart into this house. It was beautiful. Um, I made shutters with my dad and hung them on the front windows, painted the door red. It was the cutest little house. Um, When we started to look, you know, to move, to have a little bit more space, my husband used to tease, he was just going to stay there (laughs) and he didn't really want to move. But we actually were able to sell it to friends of a friend and off market. And for me, it just and, and they're so excited. They're starting their own family. This is a home that they picture, you know, spending years and years in building their family. And to me that, you know, made me feel so much better because you pour so much into your home that you create right. and we we loved it. So we got a few good pictures as we left to make sure we have some mementos, but we've passed off to a new family and we're actually living um we're still trying to get some furniture. Because anyone who's tried to order furniture, I'm sure you can relate. It's been six months yeah, since nice. I've ordered some furniture and it's still not here. But we moved into a different home, um, a little bit more convenient for my husband's work because I do work from home. And um, it's a little bit more modern. So it's definitely giving us kind of a, you know, it's, it's a new project. Because, yes. you know, our 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 furniture that fit in the cute 1950s home um, with kind of that more traditional, I, I did kind of um a mid, you know, mid-century vibe that <laughs> didn't right. quite work in this right. house. And so it's been a really fun time to kind of refresh and redesign and kind of create a different feeling for this space. Um, right. So that's been our project. So we're crazy people that decided, you know, to to move during this time and to also, you know, get pregnant, bring in a baby and all of the things. But we're really enjoying our new space, our new neighborhood, you know, and of course, a shorter commute to work for my husband.
0: It is, it sounds all very wonderful and exciting. And, and I love it. I love that story. I have, uh, you know, we were very fortunate because we did some redecorating in our home, but we managed to hit like the sweet spot. So we were able to get a lot of the things. I think you have to with the shipping issues that we're having and the supply chain issues we're having, I think you have to be a little flexible too. And, I know mm-hmm. we certainly had to change our mind about some things. You know, you're looking, you're like, okay, this is going to be a month before. We've got to find another alternative. And I just read an article about the secondhand furniture market, like the vintage furniture and secondhand furniture, uh, has just gone into grown into this huge market, and it's a growing market. And so much of it is spawning out of this um, issue. With the supply chain and being able to, you know, not being able to get things as quickly as we as we are used to, right? So, right. Uh, yeah, if you haven't checked out Cherish, have you seen that website? It's spelled like Cherish. No, C H A I R I S H. This is not a legal business site at all. I'm not uh, affiliated with Cherish. <laughs> I just happen to like to go there to browse, but they're like a they're like an online assignment for all over the country. And it's it's really been fun to go in there and browse if you like hearing the house, home decor and all that stuff. So that oh, caught my I eye. I love that. <laughs> Good. It caught my eye that you had that you had a fifties home, and I thought that was so fun. So I appreciate you sharing. And yeah. congr- congratulations on the soon to be baby will be arriving. Uh, we look forward to following you on your socials and keeping up with that. So why don't you tell us where we can find more information about you and your firm and connect with you. You also have a podcast. You're not going to give us that information.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at the Lauren Boyd, um, B-O-Y-D. And you actually also can kind of from there, you can find our law firm, which is Guide My Business. And, you know, that's probably going to be a place where I will be spamming people a few baby pictures here soon. (laughs) <laughs> um, but also I share kind of my experiences, you know, the founder of a firm. And we're currently transitioning actually to build out a particular Instagram page for the firm. And so we're, we're currently kind of working on that. So soon enough, you'll be able to kind of see some, some content on our firm's Instagram account. But, you know, until, until now, it's really been, you know, more of a person, you know, more of a personal yeah. account for me. So you can kind of see my experience as a founder and, and link up with, you know, our resources and our team and, you know, our website from there. Um, the podcast is the Lauren Boyd show. And we talk, you know, predominantly about legal topics as they affect entrepreneurs. And we have some incredible guests, you know, that have some, you know, helpful perspectives when it comes to owning a small business or finding that balance in life. So it's been, you know, really rewarding to be able to connect with people, you know, through the podcasting platform and something that, you know, I've really enjoyed. So the Lauren Boyd across the board, really easy way to find us. And yeah, just, you know, hopefully you don't mind some cute baby pictures because there'll probably be a few of those starting to pop up. But my plan is to give it an honest, you know, give an honest look at what it what it means to, you know, be a mother and also be you know, an entrepreneur and the founder of a firm. Um, right. so, you know, I'll be kind of sharing some of the behind the scenes as we kind of, as we kind of navigate this new season of life.
0: Wonderful. So wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. i really enjoyed and Appreciate that. Probably t- continue talking to you for another hour, but we need to wrap up. Uh, I'm so glad that you were here and uh, I'm sure we'll be following you and seeing what you're up to in the in the coming years. Thank you so much for
1: having me. It was my pleasure.
0: We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The league is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the league in the coming year, including the exclusive million dollar law firm framework that until now I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. League is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.